Welcome to Sound the Foghorn Fansighted's official San Francisco Giants podcast. If you haven't already, make sure to hit that subscribe button. Uh, follow around the Foghorn on Facebook and Twitter. Also, please leave reviews with your feedback. If you leave a five-star review, make sure to include a question in your comment, and I will answer it alongside my guest on a future episode. And my guest on today's episode is the wonderful Grant Brisby of the Athletic Bay Area. You may also be familiar with his previous work over at McCovey Chronicles and SB Nation. Grant, thanks for taking the time. Uh, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. So, you know, let's not bury the lead here. You know, we're both Giants people, and if you're Giants people right now, you have a lot of questions with who is going to be your starting pitchers, presuming, you know, it's not various forms of openers of Caleb Berger's and such. And while Caleb Berger is a perfectly fine pitcher, I think Giants fans have the feeling, you know, that there's going to be some new names, some new faces, or definitely at the very least players who aren't on the roster right now in that spot. And so every you know, Giants writer, both of us included, have been doing these various, you know, who could be this year's Kevin Gaussman and, you know, will they go big for someone else or is there smaller names out there? So I'm just going to throw the, not mess, but, you know, sort of the infinite possibilities that I'd say are kind of out there right now for the Giants and free agency. And, you know, where would you, if I put you in charge, because I know you're very qualified to be a president of baseball operations, you know, oh <laughs> what, uh, where would you be kind of uh, putting your two cents in? Or we'll say you're a consultant, so there's less pressure on you, but where would you be trying to, to point them in what direction? I, you know, I prefer to just sort of bring up a bunch of names and go, would it work? I don't know. Like, I don't want the power. I don't want to actually, like, stick my finger, you know, point my finger at someone and say, yeah, that guy. Um, oh, Gosh, it's such a – I don't know if I'm just getting more accepting of starting pitchers and, and the idea that they can become something. Maybe Kevin Gaussman and Drew Smiley have kind of opened my eyes. Like, okay, I, being creative is a good thing. But when I look at this market, I see just a bunch of pitchers – make me think yeah yeah i could see that or yeah that would work or oh yeah yeah you know the upside is there it just seems like there's a market filled with with uh upside guys and upside plays and low costs and you know uh uh high risk high reward that sort of thing and it's really hard for me to uh, to like pinpoint one uh let me think it would be <sighs> i i do like uh um, oh boy, on the spot. Uh, Dave Sclafani, I mean, I like him. I, okay. I think that that's a, a good one. Um, this is this is like the point where I realize I've never said Jake Odorizzi's name out loud, and I wonder if I'm butchering it, but I think I got it. Um, I like I like Odorizzi. I think he's, he's that mix between high risk, high reward, but it's not that high of a risk. Like, you've got a floor there that's, uh, that, that's pretty darn solid. Uh, I like Garrett Richards. I think his strikeout rate from last year was a little bit of a blip. It's, I mean, any, everything's a blip in a 60-game season, but he didn't throw that many innings to where I'm like, oh, no, the strikeout rate. So I think Garrett Rich, Richards is a good upside play. Uh, Jose Quintana, I think, is a, a good, like, solid bet because his injuries, he's not coming off barking shoulders and elbows. It's, you know, he cut himself. Uh, what did he do? Like opening up a can or something? Washing dishes. Yeah, washing dishes. Yeah. You know, the so, effect. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, I would go with one of those guys. But really, you could throw a lot of names at me, and I would think, yeah, okay, that sounds good. Yeah, and what uh, for you would you say is, you know, there are guys on the trade market potentially, you know, obviously Blake Snell's the big one who's come up kind of somewhat unexpectedly. Um, and then over, I think one that isn't getting talked uh, much about as probably like he's probably seems more available as Joe Musgrove over in Pittsburgh. Um, but, you know, when you're thinking about, I guess we'll talk more about the giant system later, but sort of when you're thinking about those kind of guys, what's kind of the limit on, all right, I'm willing to part with maybe a couple of these prospects or one of these guys to, to make this happen if, because they have, you know, a few years of team control under them, but are you kind of still at the point where you're kind of cautious you're in the prospect hoarding mode because you don't you aren't necessarily sure that they're there yet yeah you know i'm not a full like died in the wool prospect hugger um you know i I, you have your favorites and you want to keep you know x y and z but the Mookie Betts trade last year for the Dodgers really it kind of opened my eyes that it's too easy to worry about rentals. It's too easy to worry about, well, is this team contending now? Because I mean, you have a shot to get a generational superstar, a guy that just, you know, you're not going to see again for 10, 20 years. You take it, even if it's for a year, you you show him around, you, you teach him the Wi-Fi password. Maybe he likes the place. Maybe he sticks around. Um, so if there were a pitcher who kind of checked those boxes, uh, maybe at DeGrom, I don't know, but Mm -hmm. you, I I could justify giving up, you know, almost anything in the giant system other than, than Luciano, uh, Aside from that, I just think the market's too deep. The market is just so filled with potential and uh, guy uh, talent to unpack, latent talent that hasn't been accessed, uh, arms that have been hurt in the past that might be healthy now. I think there's just too many of those. I, I would not want to trade for a starting pitcher, even if there were a couple of years of team control left. I think there's just enough value out on the market to, to hug your prospects a little tighter. The thing for me that I get kind of caught up on is I agree with you in the sense like I look at the free agent picture pitching market and I go, there's 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 some good guys here, but they're really if sort of from a general perspective, I like it. But when you get down to the specifics of like I have to pick one or even two, you know, maybe three, obviously the third would be a really low end guy, but um you have to pick two or one or two of these guys. I, I, I start getting, you know, that's when, again, you know, you, it gets sort of harder for me to wrap my head around because, you know, if you told me a year ago, if Odorizzi and Quintana are on the market, then it's a no brainer for me. I, I, I really have liked Quintana for a while. I thought he was underrated. I thought people took his kind of innings eating, I think people kind of looked at him as like the Jeff Samarja innings eater when I think he's always been a, a, a better pitcher um, than Samarja ever was with the exception of that one kind of a very good season he had. And Odorizzi obviously has been a consistent guy. He's kind of been someone more in that Samarja-esque mold, but not necessarily as a pitcher, but in terms of, you know, throws good innings, you know, four-ish ERA, but solid. Right. And I, Again, it's you're right. I, like this is a blip. This is a 60 game season. There's a literal pandemic going on, but they didn't pitch either. In Odorizzi's case, he didn't pitch <laughs> right. very much and very well. And Quintana threw 10 innings, and so then it becomes. And 
I know you're, you know, not the keenest on Masahiro Tanaka, and I understand exactly why, although he's someone too. I'm like, that's a pretty good arm in general, but again, it's like how when it gets down to it, like I might be willing to part with if I could say get a Joe Musgrove for a Patrick Bailey and Will Wilson, which again, I don't know the asking price, so you know, don't hold me to that. That doesn't mean I'm necessarily part willing to part with Joey Barton or Lee Ramos to do this. But like if I could get a Musgrove for a couple top ten prospects and maybe throw in a, you know, twenty fifth or whoever, um, I might do that because I do feel more like that recency bias, you know, I might be overrating this 2020 season. Uh, we might look back and say, man, this really had nothing in terms of predictive value for a lot of these players. At the same time, I also think we could buy into it a bit too little, you know, like I think, you know, ultimately Quintana did miss time and he did cut his thumb on his throwing hand. And, you know, that that's a reason for caution you know again i agree with you right it's not shoulder it's not elbow but you know it, it's he's he's nearly 32 he'll be 32 now i believe next year and so it's one of those things where i i like the free agent class until i have to make a decision right it's kind of if you ever drafted fantasy baseball team or i guess fantasy football team for that matter uh, in a snake draft you know exactly you ever, like, it's like you get to the 22nd round and if you give me every pick from the 22nd round to the 25th round like every team's pick like i'm gonna nail a couple i'm just gonna like have the picks of the draft some of the best players are gonna be found there you just gotta choose the right one and that's the rub you know it's it's oh boy it's, if you screw up on this you've really put, you know, not just the Giants in a bad spot. You might have put Sean Jelly in a bad spot or Connor Menez. Like, you're really, if you whiff on these starting pitchers, you are going to have to rush some guys or put some guys in positions to succeed where they haven't necessarily been put in the best position to do that. So I do get that. I do get that. I, you know, when it comes to, I would just really need to be sure on the pitcher to give up anything more than like Toribio up, you know, or Luis Matos up, you know, anything above that. If you're like the top nine prospects, I got to be darn sure about that pitcher. And I'm just not that sure about Joe Musgrove. You know, I know he's got the the high strikeout rate last year. Uh, before that, just a ton of ERAs in the fours and the you know, underwhelming strikeout numbers. Not not bad. Not, you know, he's always had a solid strikeout to walk mm -hmm. ratio. But, you know, I would really just considering where the Giants are, consider it. If they were to succeed this year, there's always the chance, you know, if they're going to exceed expectations, there's going to be the trade deadline. And maybe that's where you give up uh, uh, a, a pro prospect like, a, you know, like a Hunter Bishop or Patrick Bailey. Maybe you do take that chance in July. I wouldn't take it now, though. I think there's just the Giants are kind of on the cusp of being on the cusp, but they're not on the cusp. I don't think that they are like in such a position where one trade is going to flip them and not yet. And so I think you can wait to make that trade. That that would just be my perspective. Yeah, no, I, I think that's I would expect the approach probably far on. Zaidi and Scott Harris are going to take just from, you know, kind of looking at their backgrounds and it seems how um, they leaned. Although we've also heard that they love making trades and fiddling with the rosters. And of course, we've seen that happen on the fringes. But, you know, I imagine that one day you think we'll see some big trade. But anyway, sure, um, sure. they non-tendered Tyler Anderson this week, which wasn't necessarily a surprise. He was one of the more kind of 
obvious non-tender candidates, given sort of how things in the market uh, had shaked out. You know, but it would have been three and a half, four million dollars for a guy who was perfectly solid, competent in the rotation this year. I'm curious what you think about that and how you would feel about, you know, bringing Anderson back into the fold. I think Anderson, yeah, Anderson's fine. Anderson is, it, it, Farhan, I think, is, he's kind of got that that look in his eye where he he feels as, as if he wants to to go after higher ceilings. He's got, he's he looks like a roulette player right now who's who's hitting on a few. Uh, he, he's sort of like he's hit on Gaussman. Uh, Smiley, I mean, I think that's uh, proof of concept. You know, in theory, he he was right. There was more to unlock there, even if the the finger injury cost him some innings. Uh, Pomerantz, I mean, it didn't work out in the beginning, but it sure worked out in the middle. So he's kind of he's thinking that he is, is someone who's able to sift through the tea leaves of, of the free agent market, and I I don't disagree. So if Anderson were to take a, an obvious rotation spot, um, that would be cost certainty. It would have been fine. It would have uh, made a lot of sense. But I think he's going for a little bit more. I think the Giants are looking for uh, they're, they're taking home run swings. They're doing some Rob Deere uppercut home run swings. And Tyler Anderson's a nice single to the to the right side. Uh, mm-hmm. I, ju- I wouldn't like it if, you know, they signed John Lester, who's basically the same pitcher at this point. Uh, seven million or eight million or whatever and that was their big move that wouldn't make sense to me but if they're gonna go for um you know a, a guy with way way more upside like a carlos rodon or you know if they're gonna really take that home run swing that that's where the anderson move would make sense yeah i, I come back to with anderson too you know there's some peripheral things you get a bit nervous about he was really reliant on a low home run to fly ball rate and you know for his sake, I hope that continues. But when you look at the sustainability of that, he had lower strikeouts, higher walks as well. And so um, I did really like that changeup, though, I got to admit. I'm a, I'm a sucker for a lefty with a changeup. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. You, you saw it. And I, I do think that it's easy to overlook, um, you know, that he came back from a, missing a substantial amount of time. And I think there might be more to unlock there. I, I don't know if it's going to be in velocity, but I think in, in terms of missing bats and general stuff, I think there might be something more to unlock. He might be a smiley for another team where, you know, you don't have to just say this guy has a, a you know, strikeout rate of uh, six per nine innings or whatever. There might be something more to unlock there. Yeah. So shifting, I know you wrote a piece this week on Marcel Ozuna and, you know, he's one of the bigger name hitters. He probably of the free agent hitters had the best 2020 season, unless I'm totally whipping out someone um, who was the primary DH for the Atlanta Braves. He played about 17, 20 ish games, I'd say. And, um, you know, he, he was bad defensively. Uh, there's not, he's, he's been mediocre defensively. Um, uh, he, the Giants were rumored to be interested, but contingent upon the National League having the designated hitter. Uh, the front office and was interviewed in kind of a YouTube live situation. And uh, they mentioned their planning as if the DH will not be uh, happening or not be available to them in the National League except through interleague play next season, which would suggest they probably won't be barring a change. But where do you fall? Um, obviously, I know where you fall, but for the listeners who haven't read, although if you haven't, you know, I highly recommend an athletic subscription and go over and give the piece a read. But where do, where do you fall on potentially entering the Ozuna sweepstakes? 
All right. I have been wrong with players in this profile before with Nelson Cruz. I thought, you know, he was uh, too bad on defense. He was too old, too slow. I was looking at what he couldn't do. And I might be doing that with Azuna. But I see eight seasons. I see two great seasons. One of those great seasons is it came in a 60 game season. Uh, So I'm skeptical. I'm just skeptical because he needs to be a great hitter, I think, to have a ton of value, to be to be someone that you're comfortable for three years, for four years saying, this is my guy. This is my uh, corner outfield, corner outfielder, uh, power hitting cornerstone. Uh, He needs to be pretty darn good, you know, if not great. And I just I I'm looking and I I look at his baseball reference page or his fan graphs page and I just in my eye drifts over to the OPS plus or you know the the weighted runs created and it's just it's just not there it's solid every year he's solid you know he's got a, a career OPS plus of uh, uh, one seventeen solid you know you want that guy in your lineup. But if it's coming in a 30-year-old body and it's coming with age, you got to be sure that his 2020 is the new normal. And it might be, you know, the, the, the Giants front office might look at this guy and say, well, here's the difference between him in 2019 and 2020. Here's what the Braves unlocked. We're sold. We want this guy for three, four years. I could totally, totally accept that. Uh, I'm just not sure. And so if I'm not seeing it, I can't sign off and say this is the, the solution to the Giants' problems. I think there's just just not enough uh, stability there. Yeah, I, I, I definitely understand the skepticism. I'm sort of more in the pro if the price, you know, comes down a bit, um, you know, to the Castellanos range, four years, 60 um, or so, that I might. I think that getting involved would would make some sense. And part of that is just, I think, listen, guys, I love him. And I I think he was a great player to watch this year. But, you know, Mikey Strimpsey's very likely going to regress in 2021. Like, if you look at the expected runs, the expected numbers based on this bad ball content or by ball quality and other things, you know, he was an above, he's been an above average hitter in 2019 and 2020, but he's probably not this, you know, MVP contender caliber player that we saw early in 20 for a lot of 2020. And if Yastrzemski, I feel like people are putting a lot on Yastrzemski as the core piece of this lineup, almost this Bonzian like figure that the offense is kind of, they don't need to worry about because the Dickerson Slater, as you said, and I like the Slackerson uh, left field duo, you know, is, is competent there. Dubone solid. And you saw, you know, Crawford and Belt have bounced back years. Solano won the silver slugger. Longoria, I still believe at a resurgent year and just had a lot of bad luck, but you know, either way it was competent. And then you obviously have Posey coming back behind the plate, but you know, if you now granted Belt could, replicate the success he had this year and you know i've been with you on the on the right side of the belt wars for years defending him but i think both of us would also have also probably be somewhat cautious of him replicating this over a 162 game season and so i look at this lineup and say i think there's going to be regression kind of across the board because i think pretty much everyone crawford Belt, Yastrzemski, Solano, Dickerson, Slater, they all had career years. And while I think, you know, some of it could be here to say they're stay, there's probably going to be some who or Flores as well who maintain it. I think there's going to be a regression. And if the Giants, you know, are 
going to be the power players, the open spenders that I hope they are and that reports suggest they're willing to be, you know, that they can sign an Ozuna for $15 million a year and sign a Quintana, you know, and a DiScalfini or a Michael Walker or, you know, a, a lower level guy, then I think it is worth it because I think signing an Ozuna sort of gives you a level of certainty at a spot that you can say, if all these guys regress, but I make Ozuna my, you know, ideally your everyday DH, but as they're planning for right now, your everyday left fielder when you play in American League Park, your DH, that I think is going to be enough to sort of counteract some of that regression. Yeah, I I agree with you, and I don't know if it's going to be Yastrzemski. I don't know. You know, I I love Yastrzemski's approach to hitting, and I think That's the true. fact the fact that he almost uh, uh, overtook his walk total from 2019 in 2020 is amazing, uh, and speaks to you know he's just had the, the see ball hit ball, uh, swing at the strikes you can hit, uh, leave the strikes he can't hit. He's got like the Giants' philosophy down. So if it's him, I don't know, but someone's going to regress. This offense is going to regress. This is not a world-beating offense like it was uh, for the second month of 2020. Uh, it's just I, some I, Solano. I don't know. It's going to be someone. It's going to be, and so I agree with you. And I think that there is value in getting Azuna into the a lineup this year. Like I could totally see that. Uh, my my concerns would be more. The Giants are going to have a ton of payroll open up, as you know. They're going to have, you know, once they get Belt, Crawford, Posey, uh, Longoria's contracts off the books, Cueto, uh, they're just going to have so much money to spend. But it's not unlimited. And I don't, you know, they're going to make, they're going to take their big strikes. But with Ozuna, you have to say, okay, is Ozuna, when we're ready, when we're graduating Luciano and, and Hunter Bishop or, or whomever the prospect cavalry brings, is Ozuna going to be better than the free agent field there? You know, if we have him for three years or four years, when we're ready to really, you know, with precision target the free agent who best fits this roster, is Ozuna going to be a complication? And in 2022, you know, maybe it's Starling Marte or Michael Conforto or I don't I don't know. Like there might be someone who better fits the Giants and their needs, both short and long term. And I'm just I'm a little wary of going to improve the 2021 team at the expense of of improving the 2023 team's flexibility, because I like the 2023 team's chances to compete with the Dodgers. Uh, The 2021 team, I like their chances to maybe make some noise and and be around 500 and and possibly squeak into a wild card spot like I and that's a valuable thing. And that would get fan interest back in a in a season after a miserable pandemic season. That's important. But I just I I really want to f- keep the eye on the prize, which is just just over the horizon and make sure that the Giants are in the best position to get exactly the free agent that that roster will need. Definitely. You know, I think it's I mean, I, I think it's definitely a reasonable argument. I mean, again, I, I, st- I just like Dozuna for a while. And, you know, he, he really does hit the ball hard. Granted, he doesn't mean he hasn't had his struggles. And I think when you look at it, you're right. Like he's been an above average good hitter he has not been the great hitter that a guy like Cruz was pretty much perennially and entering his free agency you know or even you look at like an Edwin Encarnacion is another kind of DH who lasted into his late 30s and so you are kind of looking at Ozuna almost as if he's Cruz in that he's a late bloomer who just happened 
to before his bloom be solid in Major League Baseball. And yeah. I think you know that that is kind of a a certain level of worrisome bet, assuming he can't play left field long term. And I don't think it's out of the question. And granted, I tend to have a lot more hope about guys kind of regaining defensive form than than others. But I, I think it's fair to say you shouldn't be counting on that if you're going to be um, paying him. So we're going to take a, a quick break. We'll be back. Stick around. We'll be back in a few seconds um, with some more of Sound the Foghorn. Stick around. Before we move on to a little bit of minor league talk, you know, we should close it out talking about the closer or lack thereof. And I should say, you know, what, what was Kaplan's or the leverage guys, high leverage guys. Anyway, <laughs> um, yes. Um, how, how do you feel about the group that's there right now without a Liam Hendricks or Brad Hand or Trevor Rosenbaum? It's better than you might think. You know, I think last year there was the bullpen collapses were so brutal, so visible that it's easy to have like that snap judgment of like, oh, the Giants bullpen's awful. They should probably do something about that. Uh, but that glosses over a lot of what went right between Trevor Gott's meltdown and Sam Coonrod's meltdown. The Giants, you know, they they unlocked a lot of solid guys. Tyler Rogers had some blips in the beginning of the year, became sor- solid. Uh, Harleen Garcia, uh, he had a very, you know, he wasn't missing bats in the beginning of the year, started missing bats in September. Uh, Caleb Berger, uh, just, you know, a really unique pitcher with funky spin rate. Uh, there's there's definitely more potential there. Uh, Reyes Maranta coming back, I keep forgetting about that. But it's, it, I think that there's a core there. There is a solid group of arms that you can believe in as much as you can believe in any bullpen, which is to say you shouldn't believe in them. But, I mean, it's a solid group of arms. And I think one of the things that, that Kapler said that, that resonated with me is there is value in keeping a bullpen together to having a group of guys with experience. You know, the Giants are, are proof of that, or at least uh, were in the past when you're talking about the core four and Sergio Romo and Affelt and Javier Lopez and Santiago Casilla. They worked very well together in part because they sort of knew their roles. They could kind of sense if the game was going to be coming to them. Uh, so you might see maybe these aren't the guys for the future, but there is value in getting a group of four or five that you've locked in on and then building around them. That said, I want more bullpen help. I think at <laughs> least at least two arms, you know, one of them you can trust a couple of arms maybe that you can dream on. Um, you know, I want an Archie Bradley. I want a Hendricks. I want I want someone like that. And I, I sort of wrote I got over my skis a little bit when I was writing a, a piece about, you know, don't pay too much for closers because uh, I just don't see the market being that wild other than maybe Hendrix, you know, Trevor may didn't get that much. So if that's what relievers are going for, please get a couple of those. I mean, it just, it makes baseball easier to watch. Even if, you know, I, I can pretend to be a, a dispassionate writer and like, Oh, you know, I'm just here to observe the game. It sucks as a writer to watch a team with a bad bullpen because it screws with your narratives. It screws with your expectations, your copy, uh, what you've written, your notes. You just, you want to tear them up and eat them. Uh, but also as someone who, you know, wink, wink kind of likes the giants to win. I, I have my foot in both worlds. Uh, just get a better bullpen, please. It's, it's, it would be so nice. <laughs> I think back to the 2010 world series, that 2010 giants world series team, which, frankly, I think in the modern era, has one of the best pitching staffs we've ever seen. 
And, you know, a big part of that is, again, that bullpen. You have three guys who would be, you know, technically the closer on World Series winning teams in Casilla, Romo, and Wilson. You obviously had Lopez. You had Affeld. Um, even Ramon Ramirez was surprisingly good that year, and I feel like I'm missing another good arm that Bochy could turn to. But I felt like one thing that happened with that bullpen, obviously they got older. But the other thing was they ended up, and this is sort of where things fell apart and what led to the Mark Melanson signing, is I always felt like they had actually a bunch of really solid relievers that were just one roll over their skis. Mm. Like, Casilla was like Casilla was a guy I was like this guy's a really good setup guy but just in the closer role it just seems like you know that you know that that pressure kind of gets to him after 15 to 20 or so games you know Romo as he got older you know that he just he couldn't face lefties consistently you know Derek Law was really good in 2016 and I think part of it was because the bullpen was so bad he got overused a bit um and, and sort of you know he's paid the price for that since but you know you, you looked at it and you're like they're just one role too high. And that's kind of how I feel about this bullpen. Like, I like Sam Selman. I like Rogers. I like uh, Harleen Garcia. I, I, I actually really like Wani Peralta. Um, yeah. And if I think you get, like you mentioned, that, you know, I, I still am shocked that Brad, well, I guess I wish I was shocked that Brad Hand hadn't cleared waivers. And I wish the Giants had claimed him for that one year, 10 million, one year, 10 million, because you just, to me, you lock a guy like that in. And you can kind of trickle it down. Now, this could be solved if Reyes Maranta is back to pre-injury Reyes Maranta stuff. Like, I think you can make the argument he could be that guy where you could say he's clearly our most dominant reliever. He's going to be our closer. But I think I'm with you in the sense that you bring in a hand, you have the potential if Maranta is back to his pre-injury stuff to have an elite, elite bullpen where if you have a lead in the seventh inning, you know no matter how small it is that you can hold it where, you know, if you're going in next year where the Maranta wild card is kind of your best play for that premium reliever. And otherwise you're looking at Sam Selman or Tyler Rogers uh, or Harleen Garcia in that closer role. There, there's definitely some nerves there. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's a good point. It's, it's the strength of a bullpen. It's easy. Uh, it's easy to look at a bullpen and focus on who's coming in the ninth, who's coming in the eighth. Um, you know, that's an easy way to gauge the strength of a bullpen. But just as important is who's coming in in the fifth, who's coming in yeah. the sixth, who's coming in the seventh. And if you get a guy like a Brad Hand, I really like Brad Hand. I think it, uh, his drop in velocity is overblown. I think his drop in strikeout rate is, is definitely overblown. I really like Brad Hand. And if you get a guy like that, well, now you've got Tyler Rogers as someone you can bring in the, the seventh inning perhaps uh, against a, a tough righty or you know someone who doesn't see him well uh, you know he's actually very good against lefties so I mean you just push these guys back and when you push those guys back well the guys behind them get pushed back and uh, as of right now the fan graphs the roster resource depth chart for the Giants has Trevor Gott as the long reliever uh, you know I'm as big a Trevor Gott booster as maybe exists but I think that there could be value in making him fight for a job in spring training rather than saying he's one of our seven or eight best options right now. Uh, so I, I really think that pushing everyone back, like you said, uh, it definitely would have helped in 2016. You're, you're right about that. So just getting one guy, I would like two guys. I would like a, a Brad hand and then maybe even an Archie Bradley to, to, you know, be with him. I don't want to do what the Rockies did. And, you know, ah, we've got Wade Davis and we've got Jake McGee Justin, and we're uh, invincible Mike now. 
<laughs> so, uh, you know, that's bad. But if the market's going, you know, that Trevor May deal wasn't that bad at all. If that's where the market's going, get two of those guys, please. Yeah, I wrote a piece uh, on was it yesterday. Uh, I think it was yesterday. The, the days run together. Um, <laughs> but the on sort of three kind of under the radar guys. Um, one was kind of, I think, Tommy Lastella is a good player, but I think Brad Miller actually is kind of pretty similar in what he does and hits for some power. Um, the other, I'll was eh, I'll spoil it, whatever. You can go to the website and read it. I'd appreciate it if you guys give me some views. But uh, David Dahl, um, I think for obvious reasons, yes. a left-handed center fielder with, frankly, big-time upside. I'm still, I mean, again, anyway, the Rockies front office baffles me. Um <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but the third one was Anthony Bass, who's a middle reliever who really I think no one ever heard of outside of probably making various fish jokes. And he's been a solid. He was kind of developed, drafted and developed by the Padres as a starter until 2018. He was kind of in that in between where he was getting thrown, you know, kind of early career Jonathan Sanchez, where he get thrown to the long relief role and then he'd be back in the rotation. And then in 2018, he became a reliever and he was a solid middle reliever for the Cubs. Then the next year he was. In ooh, 2019, he was, I think, with the Mariners and was, you know, 3-5 ERA. And then last year with Toronto, his production was pretty similar. But when you looked, he's a sinker baller. And when you look kind of below the at the, at the baseball savant page, his expected ERA was 2.24. It was better than Brad Hands. It was better than Liam Hendricks. He had an elite barrel rate. Um, he's a guy, I think, if you're looking for kind of, if they're looking for an under-the-radar guy, I think, Seems to he's a guy, too. I think if he gets a Trevor May like contract, people are going to be surprised. But I'd understand where that comes from if the market ends up happening or shaking out that way. Granted, I have still have no idea how to predict this market because we in the deals we've seen so far, we haven't seen basically massive like depression of salaries that I think a lot of us were expecting. At the same time, it kind of makes sense that the most aggressive front offices the ones that are most willing to spend are going to pay that premium early and so we're probably going to see this market stretch out and that's when we'll start seeing guys who sign for one year two million and we're like how did he not get more you know <laughs> right right no I, I i think that that's all perfectly reasonable you know when i when i see a guy like bass i i wonder I haven't seen uh, the new front office unlock relievers in the same way. I, they haven't. They don't have that track record of uh, a Gaussman or a Smiley. You know, they've tried with. Uh, oh, let me see if I had like a Birch Smith or a, a Nick Vincent. You know, like they've they've really kind of gone after these guys and said, okay, you know, we I can I can get why they're going after guys like that, but they haven't hit on one yet. They they haven't really showed that ability to find those those diamonds in the rough at least in the bullpen so i you know i just want it's i just want to spend the giants money i want a little bit of cost certainty in the bullpen and i you know Hendricks might be a tough ask and that goes back to the azuna thing where you're basically if you're going to spend money on Hendricks, you might be saying this is our best chance to have a, an elite reliever in 2023 as well and I'm not so sure about that. You know, I, I think it's too volatile. There's a lot of a lot of reasons you don't want to give a reliever a three or four year deal if that's going to be your big relief expenditure. But underneath that, I you know, obviously Brad Hand isn't going to his his market is less than what I think it should be because no one wanted him for one year and ten million, which is weird as heck. And it 
kind of like it, there are no red flags except for that red flag. And so it makes me wonder, you know, what what's going on with him? The same with Archie Bradley, like him being non-tendered when one of the big draws to him at the trade deadline was that he had team control. Now you have two teams that said, eh, you know, we're better off without him. Why? Yeah, I, I just I'm, I've looked at his pitches, his stuff, his baseball savant stuff. It's all pretty darn solid. Uh, so I. I would want one or two of those guys with those caveats, but I think I think it's possible for the Giants to get one, maybe two of them. I have to be honest with you. For some reason in my head, I just marked it that Bradley had had like an injury and had a terrible year, and I just went to the baseball reference. I'm like, well, yeah, he had two nine five ERA. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's his fastball is a tick slower, but it's a tick slower for him. It's like 94 now. And, you know, you can still find if you want to cherry pick and go for the swinging strikes, they're there and they still look like, ah, yes, this guy's got stuff. Um, so I don't know. I really like Bradley. And yeah. if, if he's available, I think the Giants should pounce. Yeah. Um, la- last sort of thing, you know, I, I like to talk prospects with people because I just like I'm curious sort of who are the guys. I mean, obviously. Sorry, I'm not going to let you say Marco Luciano, even <laughs> though everyone loves to think about Marco Luciano. But where, when you look through this system and, you know, mostly, you know, when you look through that MILB page or, you know, whatever it is, who's a guy? And obviously without the 2020 season, it really um, right. makes it difficult. But, you know, who are, who are the people who, you, who are the prospects you're like, you know, I think, you know, because everyone, you know, when you look through those stats pages, especially, I know this even from growing up with my dad where our favorite one is that that Augusta Green Jackets team where he liked Adam Duvall and I liked Matt Duffy and so there's kind of that war between <laughs> us for, for that that has played out since but but you know who are who are the guys you look at and you go I think you know from from this stat I think there's going to be more here yeah, I first of all when I look at the Giants prospect list i really enjoy looking at a list that has guys where they're supposed to be like when you look at i'm looking at mlb pipeline right now and logan wyatt's at number 20 yeah that's like where he should be and you followed systems where it'd be like logan wyatt the sixth best giants prospect he's not that great but you know whatever we have to make a list somehow like this looks like an actual prospect list where you've got guys at the bottom who are intriguing and guys at the top so I'll do the thing where I saw a guy in spring training who impressed me and based on like those three at bats, like now he's my guy, you know, all of a sudden like, oh, well, I'm the expert on and that's Sean Roby. You know, I saw him and he's just a big, you know, like a just a, a, a solid body. He's more athletic than you might think. He's got tons of power. I saw him hit uh, a couple to the opposite field to the right center gap that made me go, oh, that's more advanced of an approach than maybe I I gave him credit for. So, uh, look, I don't know what he would have done this year, but that's like one of the guys when I look at the, the bottom of the list, you know, that that's one of the guys that I focus on. Uh, uh, oh, boy, I'm going to say a name I've never said out loud. R.J. Dabovich, uh, you know, he's oh, yes. the fourth round pick. You know, he's one of those guys you a video will fly by from driveline or, you know, a Twitter video. And all of a sudden he's just like throwing 98, just with wipeout breaking stuff. And how is this guy a fourth round? Like a massive spin rate. Yeah. Like he just looks tremendous. And I don't know. It's, I'm basing this off of a minute of Twitter video, maybe like 30 seconds of Twitter video. All of a sudden he's my guy again. So those are the two guys, the, the names that come up right away. Yeah, I do really like Roby. I got to talk to him a couple years ago. And the thing about him that I think 
you know, people kind of get lost. And I think sometimes like this is obviously Canario's injury kind of changes it. But I thought like people, you know, I thought Bishop and Canario have always been kind of equivalent prospects to me. In fact, mm-hmm. you could make the case for Canario. But because, you know, Bishop was this first round pick, you had this sort of longer track record, and this familiarity um, that kind of benefited him in rankings. And I think kind of, you know, Roby's a kind of guy who like Canario's kind of, you know, not lost some luster because he was a JUCO pick. He was a 11th round pick, got a hundred fifty thousand dollar bonus out of. I want to say, I know it was in Arizona, but anyway, uh, and he hit like twenty five home runs in like three sixty in a junior college season. I mean, he absolutely obliterated his competition there. I think he had a seven fifty slugging. So I mean, this is a guy who just tore the cover off the ball. You know, if if he for some who knows why reason doesn't get drafted and then ends up, you know, playing D one ball. I think there's a very good chance. He ends up at a top program, tears it up and ends up, you know, a first round or sandwich second round pick. And I think the prospect narrative around him is entirely different because he is still, you know, again, the 2020 season kind of screws it up, but he was still relatively young and still is relatively young to, for even the levels he was playing at, you know, he's, he's about the age of Patrick Bailey. Who you know? Who is the Giants' first-round pick this year? And obviously, Roby was doing very well at Salem Kaiser. So um, I do, I, I do really like Lo- Roby. I'm curious to see um, his you know defensive development because that's been sort of one of the things that's been an interesting question with him. But definitely a name, Grant. I uh, very much appreciate you taking the time. You know, as someone who grew up a Giants fan, I, I'm been a big fan of your work this is where i I trick you into coming on the podcast so i can (laughs) uh, say nice things about you um you know in the sort of year and a half two years i've been doing this i think the first highlight uh for me uh, of sort of stumbling into covering the giants in a pseudo beat writer fashion um was when i you know last year i stumbled into some tips you know for trevor mcdonald signing and and elliot ramos got hurt, but then it was a minor injury. And then when Elliot Ramos got promoted to Richmond, I reported that. And I guess it just so happened that when I tweeted it, you were recording the Bags and Brisby podcast. And so the next day, I'm just listening to your podcast as I normally do, because you know, I'm a Giants fan and it's great Giants content. And you go, well, this guy, you know, Mark DeLuke has some connections over in San Jose and he's saying Elliot Ramos is getting promoted. And one, you're one of the few people who said my name correctly first shot. So... <laughs> Uh, props to you uh, but also that just made my day i was just like oh wow like i, I got that, that that was uh really fun for me so uh <laughs> thank you thank you for that thanks and thanks for uh all the work you've done the giants over the years but also thank you for taking the time today no 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 i appreciate that and you know like i told you uh when you expressed surprise that i i pronounced that name uh correctly it's because when i was growing up there were two kids who were like the best baseball players in our little league and one of them was tom callen and another one was dustin delukey and dustin delukey he let's see he got to triple a he got to triple a from the mariners uh he had a 440 on base percentage uh, in the padres triple a system but he just didn't have any power so he didn't make the bigs but that's how i know how to pronounce your name and then real quick, I just wanted to add, while while we're talking about Sean Roby and junior college stats, I never pass up a chance to point out Juan Perez and what he did in uh, junior college. So Juan Perez, we're talking, you know, 2014 defensive replacement for the Giants. Uh, it, when he was at Western Oklahoma, 
a junior college, or maybe it was an NAIA. I'm not sure what Western Oklahoma is, but he hit 465 with 37 home runs in 215 at bats. Um, just amazing, like 465 with 37 home runs at Western Oklahoma. Um, and yeah, hey, he's a World Series champion, so there you go. Hey, and you know what? The Giants need that fourth outfielder. Maybe they can tap into some of that power on a minor league deal. You know, <laughs> right? <laughs> Just bring, bring, get the band back together. Absolutely. No, thanks for the kind words. I appreciate it. Uh, that is Grant Brisby. You can check his work out at the Athletic Bay Area. Oh, what's what's your Twitter handle, Grant? If people want to give you a follow over there, it is at Grant Brisby. I am tweeting way less, and I got to tell you, I feel like I I've quit drinking or something. It's amazing. <laughs> like I don't I go on Twitter maybe five minutes a day, and it's been the best thing for my mental health. So you won't see me a ton on Twitter, but I don't know. Maybe you'll see me whip out like one joke a week or something. Sounds good. I'm still young and in the craze of social media. You can follow me over at Mad Deluki. That's M-A-D-D-E-L-U-C-C-H-I. You can also follow Around the Foghorn on Facebook and Twitter. That'll be at Round the Foghorn. Drop the A. And this has been the Sound the Foghorn podcast, our eighth episode. We'll be back next week. Make sure to stay tuned. Uh, Stay safe, everyone, uh, and have a wonderful week.